every world became a garden, and for every garden there was a shepherd, and for all the shepherds a greater purpose. Open this world to the winding path, light the way where I wish to roam, across the seas of infinity for this weary traveler far from home. This is The Lost Tribe. Welcome back to The Lost Tribe. We continue this week with the reading of chapters 15 and 16 of the second book, Sins of the Father. As always, I am the author and your humble narrator, Peter Ivey. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share to keep me bringing the story to you. Thank you for listening, and let's begin. Chapter 15 I watched my friends as they made their way along the side of the factory where I resided along the lake. I could tell from his ponderous gait and lingering shadow that Dacoum was walking ahead, and Henry was creeping cautiously behind. I didn't see a Tomo anywhere, but my vantage point in the catwalk didn't cover all the angles. I stayed in the shadows for a bit, and nodded my head. I heard Casey start moving behind me. I turned around to watch her as she unlatched the gate for the freight elevator and stepped inside. She tipped her hat to me, smirked, and closed the gate. The elevator started moving down. The space we occupied was a hasty setup that Casey had lived in long ago when she was on the run from the kingdom. That was before she met Apostos. A friend of hers from those days had set this up in perpetuity for her. She had saved his life when the kingdom rolled through. It wasn't much, but we had the top floor of an abandoned factory, a set of six cots, a large industrial metal table and chairs, running water, electricity, and most importantly, a place to breathe, take stock, and figure out what to do next. We had parted company with Henry, Dacoum, and Atoma less than a week ago after I caught up to all of them in Taroge. Taroge. What a fool I had been to imagine that we had outsmarted Manon. We were all being shuffled around the playing board, and we didn't even know it until recently. Manon had reached out with his minions and murdered my friends with ease. God damn you, Simmy. Why couldn't you just run? The death of my hunting comrade had unnerved me. I knew whose hand had rendered his finish and there would be a reckoning when I found Felkir. Minong had Jack and Penny as well. He left instructions for where they were, and what we had to give him to get them back. The note was attached to Simi's severed head, which had been driven through a long spike sticking up from the ground in front of the burning remnants of Henry's beautiful ship. I rubbed at my jaws I remembered how he'd slugged me after he saw what they'd done to his creation. Takum pulled him up before things got serious. In truth, I doubt I would have stopped him from beating me within an inch of my life because it's what I deserve for being so stupid. We were all running very close to the edge now, and I had a feeling that we'd get even closer before it was all done. I went over to the steel table and sat down at the head. Pay for your thoughts, Bostos murmured. Are you trying to be funny? I do not know. I try to stay out of your mind if you'd like going to occupy, but sometimes I hear stray thoughts. Perceptions. <laughs> the thought of you developing a sense of humor is kind of hilarious in itself. I think you've been hanging around me far too much. Possibly. I have little choice. Are the others here yet? Yeah, they're on their way up with Casey. Can you control Iconis enough to get him to talk when everybody's here? I think so. The amount of dark energy he absorbed restored him to basically how he was from shortly before our father lobotomized him. He is very angry, but he will listen to me. That's good. I didn't have to shut him down. What he knows is critical. 
What who knows? Henry said, stepping out of the lift. He was swiftly followed by Takuma and Casey. I rose to greet him. You'll find out soon enough, Henry. I gestured at the table. Why don't you and Takum sit down over here? We can get started. That's fine, Henry replied. He stayed standing while the others sat down. Something on your mind, Henry? He pulled out a smoke and lit it. He crossed his arms and inhaled. Hmm, first of all, sorry I decked you. Hey, you had your reasons, Henry, I understand. He raised one finger. What now? But, Dekum and I aren't at your beck and call, okay? We came here to hear you out, but I don't plan on risking his life or mine unless we're absolutely sure about it, alright? Yeah, I get that. If you'll sit down and listen, I believe you'll find what I say of interest to you. Henry nodded and sat down next to Dekum and Casey. Tomo not coming? I asked, moving to return to my seat. Henry and Dekum exchanged a brief but meaningful look. We haven't seen him since we parted ways at the wreck, Henry replied, tapping his ash off on a rough edge of the table. Are you that surprised that he's not here? He did say that he was going to keep his word to me. That could mean a lot of things, Mick, Casey said. He could be going to kill off the rest of the kingdom, Mick. He's powerful enough to give it a shot, and that would fulfill his promise. I thought about what Apostos said. Henry and Dekum could be hiding something, and I was suddenly glad that the rest didn't hear that last one. Maybe it was more on the nose than Henry or Dekum could admit. With or without Otomo, though, we had to get things started. I began building up power, drawing on both the light and dark energies in my body. This meeting would be taxing, but hopefully worth the effort. I'm sure we're all eager to get started, I ventured. I guess Otomo will have to be caught up later. Fire away, Mick. I began by telling them about what happened after the left between me and Manon while he had occupied Apostos' body, and all the things he said. I finished by telling about how Apostos had saved himself. Henry was wide-eyed, and even Dekum was in disbelief. Henry got up from the table and came really close to my face, uncomfortably close. He looked me over like a surgeon assessing a disease. He's really in there now, too? Yeah. How's your head? I'm, I'm fine, Henry. Look, for this next part, I, I need you guys to bear with me. It may get a little... weird. Define weird. Are you sure you're up to this? Casey asked me. We'll see. I drained the wells of power that I'd been drawing together. Apostles had shown me a different way to use my power than I'd ever imagined. It was much more demanding, but extremely useful. I brought up the images of Apostles and Lyconis in my mind and began to give them form and shape with the power I'd gathered. I stretched out one hand towards the seat to my left, and my other towards the right. I let the power slip out, gathering up the essences of my two passengers, to give them a form in our world. Within moments, Postos and Lyconis sat at the table with us, although their forms were slightly translucent. It was a huge expenditure of power. I felt a certain amount of relief about having them out of my head, though, for however brief a time. How the hell did you do that? Henry cried. Just takes practice, Henry, and a certain amount of risk. I massaged my temples. Who the hell is that? Takum asked. Lyconis was in the strange armor that he had on after Apostos died. He looked much healthier than he had before, though. The weariness in his eyes and face were gone and replaced by a slightly driven, more determined countenance. Lyconis had his strength back, and perhaps his mind. This is Lyconis, 
I said, and he's here to help us. Lycona shifted his eyes to me and smiled. I don't know if it was a comforting look or not. I hoped Apostos was right about him. I hoped I was. Casey got up from the table and came over to put her hand on Apostos' shoulder. Her fingers rested there for a moment and she blinked. She never told me what happened to bring them together, but I knew it meant a lot to see him again, if only for a short time. Are you okay? she asked him. I still exist, thanks to your man here, he said, taking her hand. I cannot stay like this forever. Eventually I will have to go on to whatever state is reserved for my essence. But for now I am stuck with Mick. Any port in a storm, I said. Exactly, he replied. Apostos joked, but I knew that he was scared. He was right that he couldn't stay inside me forever. In the long run, neither of us had any idea what would happen when his power ran out, and I'd have to let him go on. If heaven was as miserable as he described, I hoped it wasn't his only option. It's great to have you back, Apostos, really. Uh, but we came here to get a notion of what comes next. Apostos nodded at Henry, and then looked over at me. Well, the good news is that Father is not going to be blowing up the worlds to get rid of Menon any time soon. And the bad news, Takum asked. Menon is going to lay waste to the worlds, and we are the only thing standing in its way, or should I say, you, are standing with him, Lyconis muttered. Henry looked over at him. <laughs> what? Lyconis chuckled and blew a kiss at Henry. Yes, Bostos said, looking over at Lyconis. That is going to be difficult to explain without the rest, so listen. Apostles related to us the story of what happened to Manon, and who he truly was. I had heard it before, and it didn't really anger me less than the telling. I understood why Manon was so angry. I also understood why Lyconis had done what he did. I probably would have done the same thing, whether that was his influence on me, or by my own decision. That was his story to tell, though. All of this history was denied to us by Father's will to bury it. The conversation between us would be very different now. I'll tell the rest of it, if you don't mind. Lyconis said. He got up from the table and began to pace. I found Menon after Father had him unleash that darkness, and corrupted him in the process. We were good friends back then. I can't describe to you how angry I was when he told me what Father had done. I decided then that I would never follow another order from our Creator. I would have rather been destroyed than do so. Menon gave me some of his power, and we soon learned of where it came from. It was the Dark Sphere, a power that existed outside the gardens, outside the great experiment that Father had created, a living world that was as forceful and will in mind as Father was, but entirely composed of darkness and chaos. We fought to deny its influence, but our anger over being betrayed only fueled its power over us. We gathered a few of the other shepherds, sharing the yoke of his power with them, and we rebelled against Father. Those who we didn't recruit who came to his defense, we struck down. We weren't howling beasts as Father tried to depict us in his tampered memories. But we were warriors bearing the sigil of the Dark Sphere, the memory of which he desperately needed to bury. In the end, only Father's honor guard remained loyal to him. Apostos, of course, Sibelius, Pentelus, and Noxos. Father chose to convey his wrath through them, literally, and destroyed our physical shells. That much is true. He exiled Menon from the worlds, sealing off the world that had been Menon's charge. And he decided not to waste what was left, Apostos continued, and sealed the essences of all who had been corrupted in the souls of emerging human beings, 
still trying, apparently, to force the creation of a divine being through combining both energies. He fed me this truth to get me to help him, and erased all my knowledge of it after. Or he thought he did anyway. We're all corrupted, then, aren't we? Henry asked. Yeah, I told him, and Father would have had me put my blade in all of you to destroy that corruption. I took Casey's hand and continued. I knew that I would never have seen that world that he promised us. There's too much corruption in me to allow me to exist there. I didn't know how to tell you all that, but there it is. As it turns out, I think he would have tried to force me to destroy all of you as well. That's before Menon returned, of course. And now, Takum asked me, now we do something of our own choice, of our own will, and give Father reason to keep his promise. We gather up the darkness, stick it back where it belongs, and we kill Menon and his fucking monsters. Chapter 16 They walked together in silence down the long corridor of the old tunnel, beneath the temple that led to the cells where Lethe's people used to keep the sacrifices for their gods. The walls were smooth granite, polished by dutiful servants that were long dead, their craftsmanship lost to time. Not that Menon would have cared, had Felke the mind to mention it. Lethe had shared her knowledge of this place with them when they were scourging the worlds looking for, well, whatever it was. The civilization had died when she was reborn, consumed when she was sacrificed on an altar, and she rose again to take her vengeance. Legends would have been passed on to future generations if she hadn't been so bloody greedy for death. She and Manon would have gotten along well if uh, he would have tolerated her existence. Felker had a feeling that, just like Lethia, no one would be left alive to speak of Manon's atrocities. Manon had given up the suit that he had worn when they had first encountered him, and now wore leather trousers and a ringed vest. On his bare chest there was a broad tattoo of a black sun whose rays bent and distorted to become tendrils that wrapped around his arms, neck, shoulders, and hands. They ended at his fingertips and face. He seemed taller now. It was as if he was growing, becoming a clearer expression of something that had, so far, they had only seen a piece of. As dark as Falkir's soul had become, he still felt dwarfed by the depth of what was inside of Manon. The torches in the tunnel flickered as they passed by, the cool air pushing along as they made their way down. He spied flesh standing guard by the cells as they drew closer. She had become much more martial since Menel had used her to create more monsters. She was less a den mother now than an alpha. She no longer hid herself beneath a cloak, but dressed in a dark red body glove with high boots and a pair of sickles fastened at her hips. She hadn't talked much since she had changed. Valkyrie had suffered her absence. He did not like it. She looked up at them as they descended a small flight of stairs into the room that housed the cells. It was circular, with all the cells in the outer perimeter. Light came from a round tunnel that entered the room from the ceiling. Daylight shone down nearly sixty feet above their heads, it disappeared as the tunnel continued past the floor of the room and went deep. Flesh nodded at them as they approached. Her eyes shifted as one of the prisoners leapt at the bars of his cell. Let us out of this hole, you sons of whores! Jack shouted, his hands hauling at the bars. Not very fond of prisons, Jack, Menon asked, moving up to him. Not so much. What do you want from me, Manon? Whatever price for our freedom, I will gladly pay. You? I want nothing from you, Jack. I am not here for you, he said, smiling at him. Jack threw himself against the bars, reaching out for Manon. No. No! Leave her alone! Falkir, come on, please, don't let him hurt her. You can't truly believe this madman. Aye, 
Manon turned to Falkir and slapped a heavy hand on his shoulder. Oh, I think our relationship has been firmly established, he said. We know where each other stands, don't we, Falkir? Falkir despised the monster. As much as Jack's words moved him to rise up and put his blade in Manon, he knew he couldn't do bugger all against him. He had tried before and been handed his own ass back to him on a platter. He merely nodded in agreement and said nothing more. All the while he delighted in visions of throwing Manon's corpse down the hole, minus his eyes and his bowls. Manon shrugged his shoulders at Jack and moved in a delighted little dance towards the next cell. If you were ever my ally, Falkir, I beg you! Jack whispered. Don't let him touch her! Falkir moved past him and stood by Manon as he approached the cell where Penny was kept. Penny was shivering in the corner of her cell, suffering from the dampness that crept through the stone to steal warmth and chatter the teeth. She immediately focused on Manon and did not look away. Manon motioned for Flesh to open the cell and grabbed up a torch from the wall. Flesh opened the door. Pretty Penny, Manon said as he entered. Gather whispers, star-crossed lover, and black-hearted murderess. Bet you never told Jack that part, did you? All you know is the darkness inside us, Manon, she whispered hoarsely. You know nothing of what makes us human, in my opinion. An opinion well earned long before you and the others were crudely fashioned by father's failing hand. Your humanity is merely a shadow of the darkness that I know and love so well. Manon knelt down beside Penny and took one of her hands in his. She cried out and tried to pull away from him, but he laughed and pulled her closer. Jack yelled out from his cell and thrashed around inside. Flesh's eyes found Falkir's. There was very little concern there. Merely a fainting look of disinterest. Was she lost to Manon's darkness? The power that I cling to has never lied to me, has never betrayed me, and has shown me the true heart of the human condition. I serve it so that my former master, the architect of folly, may be shown the error of his ways. What has any of this to do with me? Penny asked. Pieces on a game board, he said. But fear not, for your own importance is at hand. Whether you know it or not, Penny, you're going to help me make it all happen. I have to make a call. I'd rather die, she said. Manon reached up and grabbed her by the back of the neck. He pulled her closer to him. You will serve your purpose, Penny, he whispered. Even if it kills you. Falker couldn't take any more of this. He reached out to grab Manon's arm. Flesh grabbed Falker before he could even touch him and pulled him away. Falker looked into her eyes. There was nothing in them for him. She was lost. Get him out of here, Manon roared. You are lucky I don't lock you up with them, you dog! Flesh guided him up the stairs. As they moved along the tunnel, Felker could hear Penny's helpless screams mixed with Jack's frantic protests. Then, a deep, sonorous voice filled the tunnel, and all was quiet. Hearken unto me, it said. Once again, thank you all for listening and tuning into The Lost Tribe, Sins of the Father. Join me next week when the story continues, and remember to follow this podcast and share it to keep the story going.